Hi, you're listening to Conversations with A&J. I'm Alicia, a 40-year-old who recently had a large fibroid removed, and I'm also a coach to women who want to take back the value of their own self-worth. And I'm Jess, a 38-year-old endometriosis and thyroid disease warrior, former osteomate, and a dedicated theater and dance educator in the Chicagoland area. And we're your hosts. This week, we are bringing you episode four of our podcast. This is part three of our three-part series titled The Turning Point, Diagnosis, Procedures, and Life After Diagnosis. Today, we will be focusing on life after our diagnosis and how we got to where we are now. Just a couple of disclaimers before we start this week's episode. We do not edit out our bad words, so listener discretion is advised. Also, information shared on this podcast should not be viewed as medical advice. As always, any information shared is for general knowledge only. Anyone experiencing medical or mental health crisis should speak with a medical provider directly. Listening to this podcast does not establish a client-patient relationship. Now let's step into part three of The Turning Point, Life After Diagnosis. <laughs> and what it feels like, right? Like, I know what's wrong. Yay! <laughs> That's the big thing is like having an answer, you know? And we talked about that. We, we, I mean, we, the nice part about podcasts is you kind of always mention what you're going to segue into, right? Like the, the time before, especially when you have like these three part series like we have. So we did talk a little bit about how life is different now that we know what's wrong. Right. Um, so I'm interested to know with you, Alicia, what's been going on since then? You know, you talked about, you feel good. You feel like you're in hands. You've got a plan. How do you feel mentally, spiritually, and physically now, like right now? Yeah. So it's interesting because, um, it wasn't until you worded it exactly like that, that I even thought of this and I didn't touch on it at all before, but, um, the first six months of the year of 2020 and when I was dealing with everything, getting my diagnosis, having the procedure, I would say that um, I felt very disconnected spiritually. I didn't feel like except in weird random moments, which we will dive into later because I'm very intrigued by this, is I felt true angel messages concerning you but I didn't concerning me or other people around me, which is not my norm because I'm pretty intuitive, feel connected spiritually in that way. And I just could not connect. And I had somebody once tell me that I actually had a hole in the bottom three quadrants of, your, of my chakra that was just leaking out all of my energy. And so if we look at it, that probably makes sense with what my body was going through at the same time as well, because I was bleeding a lot and I had this fibroid in my uterus, you know? And so um, since my procedure though, since my diagnosis and procedure, um, I'm starting to feel connected again. I'm starting to be able to meditate like I was meditating before. I'm better able to like go and put my feet in the grass and just feel that like grounding power that you feel when you like really touch the earth, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And for feeling so disconnected from that, that actually makes me feel light. You know, I, I think I really was battling at least what I, I refer to it as situational depression, you know, the first six months. And it's starting because um, I feel more connected spiritually. I think that's really starting to help just bring light and hope back into who I am. Um, 
on a daily basis. And that's exciting for me because I understand that peace is coming, you know? And the other thing that I'm experiencing is the obstacle, and I touched on this in the last episode, is the obstacle of forgiving my journey for what the journey was. Um, I can't change my journey. I can hopefully help somebody so their journey maybe is a little easier on them. Um, and I have to accept that. And that acceptance has not been easy. I'd love to tell you guys that like the next day I was like, all is forgiven. Lisa, you're cool. Like, don't worry about it. You know? Um, and that wasn't my way. So, you know, I'm working through that mindset of self-forgiveness. And I know that once I reach that, that's when things are really going to open up for me. And, you know, I'm finally feeling ready to live life. So everyone needs to put their masks on so that we can get out there because I finally have the energy and the desire to go out. You know, my, my bleeding controlled my life for a long time. Dating wasn't a huge, I, I didn't want to deal with dating and what I was going through. So I put my love life on hold for a very long time. And so now like I'm excited to like go out there and meet people and just see kind of what dating post COVID is gonna look like. Who knows what that's gonna look like, but um, I'm excited. I'm still healing um, from the mental journey of medical world, um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see kind of what's around the corner where before I was dreading what was around the corner because I didn't think I could experience it. And that's such a refreshing thing for me as your good friend to hear, right? Like what a better point in your life, like a, like a, you know, a new way of going through the metamorphosis that we just went through with diagnosis, right? Like there was some dark times and now you're feeling lighter and you're seeing, you're, you're seeing light a little bit differently or life, I should say a little bit differently. And that's beautiful. And one of the things you talked, you touched on was forgiveness and forgiving of yourself. Um, Cause in the last episode, we did talk about how we posted a lot of blame or assumed a lot of blame or blamed ourselves for everything that was happening to us, to our bodies, to our minds. And um, I had learned from a Reiki therapist that I went to a lot when I lived in the Madison area about um, a book called Radical Forgiveness. It's a beautiful book. It gives you lots of things. And so I think for you, when you say that, like I'm working on forgiving myself, we are so quick sometimes to forgive other people, right? And one of the things I've always taught my friends after reading the book Radical Forgiveness is forgiveness isn't for that other person. Forgiveness that we, we give to other people is for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so if we are so quick to forgive other people because we want, we, eventually it comes back to us. It, it makes space for them in our lives, in our, in, in our circles, things like that. We need to do that for ourselves as well, right? Like as quick as we do that for other people, we deserve that same grace for sure. Oh, and that's the word grace. It's mm -hmm. actually one of my favorite words um, because I think, I hope most people show a lot of other people a lot of grace. And I don't know if they truly understand what self-grace would look like and feel like. Because mm -hmm. it's not easy, you know? Like, because your mind goes in, well, what if I, what if I? And that is just a toxic question. Like, those what ifs. 
will like just send you down a rabbit hole, you know? And it's like being grateful for what you have, you know, like I was still strong even when I was battling everything. And I'm so grateful that my body was able to do what it did. And I'm grateful that now I can excel even more, you know, and it's those thoughts of gratitude. We have to take over the what if thoughts. At least that's oh, the ways I'm doing it. Well, and that's such a healthy way to look at it because like we talked about, it's, it's mind, body, and soul, right? Like mental, physical, and spiritual that make us up. Those are the three things that make us up as a human being. And, um, we're here having a spiritual experience in a human being body, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to remember that. Um, and I, I love that you said, I wish people gave themselves more grace. I think there's a problem when we, when, not a problem, I think the problem with society is when people give themselves grace or when people accept themselves or advocate for themselves, it can come off as many different things, right? It can come off as arrogance, it can come off as, um, selfish it can come off on all of, with all of these negative terms when that it's not right and typically that's assigned to women <laughs> you know like those same things are not assigned to men sometimes and so with with life after diagnosis or whenever your health or any of those things um are kind of in peril or in question there's those moments where we just become so thankful for it right like mm -hmm you know, um, our friend, Natalie, we both, we love Natalie. She's a photographer. And she said she took a class with someone and women all the time were complaining about their arms and photos. And finally the photographer that she took the class from said they were complaining about their arms until I showed them photographs of a woman who had no arms mm. and all she wanted was arms. Right. So you never really know what you, what you had or what you need until it might be gone. And we both experienced that through our diagnosis. Like our quality of life was slipping through our fingers and we have a completely different outlook on how we're going to approach life now. Yeah. Well, right? You like with that same question, like what spiritually and, you know, meta, like mentally, like what's going on with you post your diagnosis? Cause you're still in the middle. Like a lot mm -hmm. is better, but you haven't touched the endometriosis yet. Um, what does life look like for you? Like, how do you feel about it? Well, it's interesting. I just had this conversation with my surgeon and my pre PCP last week. So there's lots of things going on. I learned a lot medically about what's gone on inside my body and some things that will affect my future, including having children. I think, um, and my therapists think that I'm in a sense of defense right now where I'm just kind of rationalizing all the things that happened to me and possibly why it wouldn't be a good idea to have a child. Now you could ask me in a year from now where I'll be about that. And I could be on my bedroom floor crying because that opportunity was taken away. Right. And so there's, there's that, that I'm living in. I'm living in a sense of, I want to shout it from the rooftops, my experience, and I want to help as many people as I can. And I want people every day to be thankful and grateful for their health because every day that we wake up breathing and are able to live and love and create and enjoy a sunrise or a sunset or a cool thunderstorm is just a beautiful gift and 
sometimes again, those things you don't realize until they're almost gone for you. Right. I want, we, both of us watched that embrace documentary with Taryn Brumfrit. She's someone we would love to have on our podcast. If she ever listens to it, Woo, Taryn, come talk to us. Absolutely. Um, oh, she's amazing. Um, but so she had a documentary called embrace and there was all of these things. It was like death, disease, divorce. And there was one other D and this person that was at the end of her um, documentary said, don't wait for one of those things to happen, to live your life. And I feel that I lived a really great life even through trying to diagnose, but then I, I also don't think I appreciated this body. I spent a lot of time hating this body that I was, that I was in and that I was gifted with. And then my body was like, girl, I'm going to show you how amazing I am. And you're going to live through a life-threatening septic infection through your entire body. And you're going to live through a colostomy bag that leaks poop all over you every single day for four months. And you're going to live through a reconnection surgery. And then you're going to realize what it means to live, right? Mm -hmm. And there are people that have had way worse diagnosis or way worse surgeries than I have. And they, I'm sure, would share the same thing, right? Like life is just too precious to take any of it for granted. And that's where I'm at right now. Like I'm really at this place of like healing and loving my body as it is. Does that make sense? Because it's still imperfect. Still a lot of things that are going on that I have to work through and heal from, but I have to love it right now. I think that's beautiful. And I think that's one of the missing keys most of the world is missing. Mm -hmm. You know, unless it's perfect visually, unless it's perfect and it's mannerisms and mechanisms you just beat it up you know like you don't embrace the fact that like even at your worst you know what you were able to go do xyz that you wanted to do today so thank you body for like allowing me to do that and i think i think that's amazing that you're in the spot of self love for your body thank you i mean it's it's a struggle every day it's not perfect. Right. But nothing's perfect. And that's, that's, that's like the beauty in it. Right. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do a lot, um, because I spent a lot of time, I struggled a lot with insomnia after hospital stays because you don't sleep in the hospital, contrary to what anybody thinks you just don't. Um, and so for many months after my first surgery, I had a interrupted sleep pattern. And then obviously after the second surgery. So one of the things that I've been working on, um, in the morning and before I go to sleep is listing off anything that I feel thankful for. And it could be anything that happened in that day, whether it was you got a four mile walk in today and listened to a really funny podcast to you got everything done on your to-do list. And I was thankful that I got to take a nice long bath, like just listing all of these things, because there's so much obviously in the world right now that is just tearing at us mentally and spiritually. Um, and then I let a lot of outside things affect me and how I looked at my body. And I put my body through a lot of physical stress that is, was pretty harmful to its body, like over-exercising and things like that. And um, at, the, at the hands of trying to have that almighty, you know, number on the scale go down and the inches on my waist go down. And um, I don't think that my body would have been able to go through what it went through if I continued on that path. Right. So, but I think also, 
you know, and I, I touched on it with myself, you know, like I love lifting weights with my trainer. Um, my body was strong and I think that's helping my recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helping yours too, which leads me to my next question for you is what would you do differently if you started the journey today? Oh, that's such a good question. We kind of touched on that on our last episode last week. Um, and it's a loaded question because if I had all of the, you know, if I started the journey right now today, I've lived a life, right? A thousand lives of experience right now. Right. Um, if I started the journey, today without my own experience and I was novice, I might have spent a little bit more time researching and reaching out to people and a little bit more time advocating for myself. I think that that's always within us, right? Like we always say, like you and I said, we, we again, hindsight is twenty twenty. We go, God, if I only ask these questions. And maybe in those moments where at the beginning when I had those questions, if I would have listened to my inner voice, because that was it. That was my spirit telling me, hey girl, ask these questions. And then somehow my mind said, no, don't do it. And it kind of repeated that pattern until I am where I am today. So if I, if I could do anything differently now, it would just be listening to those internal cues, you know? And we've, we've said that so many times, like our bodies know when something's wrong, our mind knows and is telling us when we think of those things that we should have said, right? Like to learn from that and remember it the next time we are approached in those kind of situations and that's I would have just listened to that a little bit more I would have just I just would have asked more questions and been more vocal that's it you know I mean I think I mirror you and it makes me actually think of one of my favorite people Brene Brown who talks about um the lack of regret is the lack of empathy so don't re don't have regrets because because you have regrets you can empathize with people and you can connect in that way. And I think that's a beautiful concept that a lot of people miss out on. People always say they want to live their life without regrets, but sometimes those are your best lessons. Yep. And I think the biggest lesson that I've heard is when something doesn't sound right, ask again, you know, like when I was told, you know, some people just have it bad, like, you know, just, take a bite all and like carry on um I know how that made me feel that made me feel belittled it made me feel foolish and if I if I were to start the journey today it would be like own who you are and what you are like this is my struggle you're either gonna help me or you're not there's no in between so if you're not then let me move on to the next person you know that's similar to what you're saying though is like knowing your voice listening to your body and like knowing your worth that bad oh yeah you know because I think that's another thing when you're brushed aside by somebody with a fancy degree that knows words that you can't barely pronounce let alone spell and you think well they must know because they have the degree I'm an esthetician. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could help you with some skin stuff, but I can't help you with, you know, reproductive organs by any means, you know, like, 
Well, and I think sometimes we also forget, and I think we put a lot of pressure on medical people. Like, and I only say this because, again, I worked in the medical field on the private practice side, private practice sports medicine, private practice dentistry. And I think we have to remember that both of those things are just what they say. It's practice, right? You go into medical practice because no two human bodies are the same, not even identical twins, right? And what works for patient A is not going to work for patient B, which is why we've had such a hard time in the medical industry treating cancer, right? Because cancer mutates in every single person's body and one strain of chemo is not going to affect each person the same. And it, 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 in test groups, it could help, but everybody's reaction and their body's healing and adherence to those kind of chemicals, it's all different. And so if, if we're going to give ourselves grace, sometimes we do have to give grace to the doctors. But the problem that we both have had is we had doctors that didn't listen, didn't want to help us get to the next phase of learning, and, and were too ashamed to say, I don't know, but let me help, right? right? right. And so if, if you can find those doctors, we talked about that right away in episode two, right? That can say, honestly, like the doctor you experienced with your mom, I don't know, but I'm going to help you find the people I'm going to help you get to point B because you're at point A right now and point A is not working, right? Those are huge things, just huge, you know, and that's the beauty of this podcast. The beauty of so many of the other podcasts that we are both subscribers to is, is life experience and sharing that information openly and with courage and with conviction, right? Because I'm not telling you this because I hold a medical degree. I'm telling you this because my body's gone through this because Alicia's body's gone through this. And if our experiences can help you with some tools to help you on your life experience or your medical journey or spiritual journey, then that's what this is. This is, this is we're, we've done our job, right? That's it, episodes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the conversation, that's the other thing. You know, I touched on last episode as I think it was last episode. Like, I felt a lot of shame talking about my period because I thought nobody wants to hear it. And I thought, well, there's something wrong with you. Like, like that's your struggle. You don't need to share your struggle with other people. But one of the ways that I found my answer was for the last year, I wouldn't stop talking about it. If somebody asked me how I was feeling, I was honest. And if they didn't want to hear details, then they could, they can move on. You know, like I read body language. It's not like I held people down and like said, you will listen to my 22 days of bleeding story. I didn't do that, but I didn't shy away from it. And there's just like, you know, no, it, it sucks to me right now. I'm ovulating and I feel it and it's painful. So like, have you ever felt that pain? Then, okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know, like, okay, great. I had one training session and my trainer said something to me and I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm in pain. I think I'm ovulating and it's just, it hurts. I can't stand straight right now. I can stand hunched though. And he's like, well, I don't have ovaries. And I was like, good point. You don't. So you can't relate. That was the smartest thing you said today, Tyler. Thank you. You know? I have a po poor coworker, Matt, who is just the one male in our education office at the school. And he hears everything. And he's always like, you're a warrior. It's okay that you talk about your poop all the time, right? Like, and I don't know how you deal with it. You are warriors. I, I'm down to you. You know, by talking. That really is. 
that's how you you know and like you and I aren't one to throw an excuse down but you know what when we're having a bad day sometimes it is because of a medical thing that's going on in our life right now so give us a show us some grace and say you know what what you're dealing with I don't understand but like I got you you know and what you say is so important because I know for me um, my wife has lupus and that affects her in joint pain so um, profusely sometimes, right? And so sometimes if she says, no, I really can't, or my hands are just hurting because I want her to rub my feet, my instant instant reaction was, oh my God, can't you just rub my, my feet for five minutes, right? Like it's rubbing my feet. I'm not asking for a deep tissue 90 minute massage. Which was well, when can you sign me up for one? Um, I struggled to get off the couch, right? And, and, and because I have, you know, complete loss of control of my abdominal wall. Um, and then she could see like that moment of like, it's just so easy to get off the couch. Why do you need my hand? Like it was both like our roles were reversed for a minute. Like I could understand her not having the strength or the dexterity to rub my feet for five minutes. And then she could understand my inability to pull myself up off the couch because I just had an operation. Right. Like, so when you, when you, have something like that happen you do have again like you said that word empathy you can empathize with other people through your own experience right like I'm not going to judge someone who is you know walking in a wheel walking with a walker right like we don't know what got them to walk with that walker we don't know the the, the journey that they traveled that led them to that like and I can say that from a hundred percent my own experience when I couldn't get out of the car, right? Like I needed a wheelchair to do that. And it's so humbling. Like, I know this sounds bad, but disease is very humbling and you will look at the world in a completely new lens when you've experienced it. Absolutely. Just completely different. You know, you just, you not only have an appreciation for life, but you have an appreciation for the struggles and the hurdles that other people have gone through are going through in the everyday society yeah it, you know and it gives you a clear lens into the people around you by how they react mm -hmm. with you you know good or bad and so it's not like i left friendships or anything like that but some people could handle the situation a little bit better you know and so i understand that you know like my girlfriends that i you know had to be honest and be like I really wanted to see you, but like I had a period accident. And so I'm going to go home and cry because I can't, I have to cancel this fun thing that we were going to do. And I'm going to self wallow for a little bit and clean my mess up. Mm -hmm. And the, there were some people that like responded with kindness and grace. And there were some that just didn't get it. Yeah. And that's okay that they didn't get it. But now I know how I can have the conversation down the road with them you know, and that's just what the difference is. It's not me being mad at them or like anything like that, but now I can adjust the conversation because we all need to like understand people are in different places every day, you know? 
And that's like brings me to like a, a, a thought of like, I like the thought or the, the word bandwidth. Like, do you have the bandwidth right now for this? And that's something I've learned recently. Like when you're coming to a friend, we don't know what they're going through. Like, so if I said to you on a conversation, like, Hey, do you have a minute? And you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about something that's been going on in my life, but do you have that space right now that you can handle that kind of a conversation? Like, do you have the bandwidth to listen to my woes or to, to listen to my triumphs, right? It doesn't always have to be a situation where you're complaining, but really learning how to gauge your audience almost and, and that, and respecting it, right? Like the worst thing I hate when, when like, and you and I have this unsaid understanding, like we'll text each other and then a day or two could go by and we will not answer right away, but we will pick that conversation up. Like the text just came in three seconds ago. We've gotten over the need to go, oh, sorry, I was busy doing this. Or, you know, I was busy on the toilet, <laughs> my new life. <laughs> or I just mentally couldn't, you know, we've, we've, we have had those, those honest conversations of like, sorry, it's been a week, but I have 38 texts, you know, like before my surgery, I know for a fact I had at least 50 texts from people. And if you didn't hit me in the moment that I like had the bandwidth to open that text, then I'm sorry. And secondly, I'm not sorry. Cause I just, I couldn't know whether it was like, I hope you're doing well or like, how are you? I just, I couldn't you know, and I think that's, you know, one of the blessings is having people like, I have you in my life who like, you just get it. And the few times that maybe I do apologize and say, I'm so sorry, like, I meant to respond and I did it and I haven't been feeling good. And like, we call each other out on that every time we do it. And it's like, oh, you yeah. don't need to apologize to me for that. Like, our friendship isn't based on the promptness of our texting, you know, like we've got depth here. We don't, we don't roll that way. And if it was urgent and I needed you, I would have picked up the phone and called you. Exactly. Exactly. So good. I have a question for you. Um, and this probably for both of us could go on for the, the next final 30 minutes of our podcast. But um, interesting enough, we've talked a lot about how we got to our diagnosis, things that we went through, the treatments, but, and we've talked about these doctors that are just poop poop heads that we can put in the never again bucket. But I, and I, and I, I want to bring this up, not because it's a negative comment or a negative question that we're both going to discuss our experiences with, but it's going to open the door for a new conversation. Um, what is the rudest thing a doctor or a medical professor professional has ever said to you? Um, I think the rudest would have to be um, your only option to a normal life is a hysterectomy or an ablation. So you have to get over the fact that you want to be a mother. Um, and maybe that's more heartless than rude. Um, but I think for who I am and my desire of parenthood, that just like cuts me to the quick that that doctor felt like that was my only option like just cut this organ out no big deal um so maybe that's the coldest thing a doctor has said to me um and i think that maybe a close second would be um the doctor that just casually was like you know, this is pro you probably have endometriosis or PCOS. 
Um, and you know what helps them is, um, you know, we're not going to do any tests to prove that you have this, but you know, some people cut dairy out or gluten out and like just that like offhand, um, just the offhand comment of like, you can find something on Pinterest. Like a doctor literally told me once, just look up like Pinterest, like a diet for PCOS and just try one until it works for you. You know, or like, you know, some people experience problem with gluten when they have endometriosis. So why don't you just cut that out, you know? Um, but that one doctor, um, I think I would take his like carelessness as rude. You know, although it wasn't rude words it was just like brushed aside like i'm not going to do the tests on you to see if you have pcos or endometriosis but why don't you live your life like you do but try to control it with diet and exercise you could stand to lose a little bit of weight so go lose a little bit of weight and you'll feel fine you know that just that I get red. Do you see? Look, I'm getting red. Like in in just the thought of that, because I'm going to touch on one of the things. I'm going to talk about PCOS because, for me, I'm going to answer that same question for you. There's two things. Well, I would say three things in my life that have been rude that have just stuck with me from a medical professional. Um, I because I just don't even like the, I've just had that experience. You and I have had multiple experiences. So if we had to think back to every rude thing, we'd we'd have 17 podcasts on just that. <laughs> One of the things that stuck out to me was I was with, a, I think I talked about this on our um, second episode, um, and it was a doctor who dictated in front of me. So when you dic a doctor dictates, it, they basically talk into a recorder or something, and then some a medical transcriptionist types up the notes for the, the patient's chart, right? And he dictated in front of me, and I had gone to him because I had hair loss, low libido, thinning eyebrows, brain fog, extreme afternoon fatigue, low body temperature. These are like seven different things that make up hypothyroidism. And I, and I said, and I'm, I am literally unable to move the scale. And I was working out six days a week at Orange Theory Fitness. I was eating clean, green and lean, like so, but the scale was the least thing on my list. And he, in his, in his dictation, he said, Jessica's a pretty girl with a beautiful smile and she's concerned that she's overweight. I think if she just drink, has some Miralax, it will help her with her constipation problems and nothing that a healthy diet wouldn't fix. The second thing was when I, I got sent home after my emergency surgery in February and I got assigned a home nurse, which that whole situation is another series that we will talk about because home nurse care can either be impeccable, which I had with my second surgery, or it can be miserable, which is what I had with my first surgery. But this, this nurse came to me and he's doing my intake and he's taking my vitals and I'm crying and I'm trying to learn how to use a pick line for my blood draws and for daily um, IV medication administration. And he says to me, so how long have you been diabetic? I said, I'm, I'm not diabetic. Are you sure you're not diabetic? No, I'm not diabetic. Continues on with this. Have you ever been tested? Are you pre-diabetic? I am a woman in a larger body. I have never been 
um, in the risk of being pre-diabetic. The only thing is, is that I have hereditary um, or family history of it. So I do test it every year with um, my thyroid doctor. I have low, I have perfect cholesterol and perfect blood pressure. I've never been on any of those kind of medications. So those two things were so insulting to me. And then also being told by the GI doctor that couldn't find anything wrong with me in December of 2019 and just saying, you know what, just try a low FODMAP. You can just Google it, low FODMAP, low FODMAP, change your diet. All of these symptoms will go away if you change your diet. Well, we had already ruled out celiac, so I have no sensitivity to gluten. Like I just don't, there's no biological medically diagnosed reason why I should cut out gluten in my body. If I eat a lot of it, do I get bloated? Most people will. Right. right, because when you eat a lot of natural whole grains, there's a lot of fiber in that, and your body's going to create gases. It's processing it to get it through. Like, so that's one of the things. Those are triggers for me, right? Like, those are triggers. Like, just your symptoms will go away if you just change what you eat. And I think, and I, you can forgive me if I'm wrong. And when I say that we are women in larger bodies, we are, prop, you know classified as either obese myself i'm classified on the stupid archaic bmi scale as morbidly obese that's disgusting we'll talk about that another day but when people look at us that they might think right that we have a problem with food right and how insulting that a medical prof professional would say that all we had to do was have more willpower and 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 a stricter diet and we wouldn't experience any of the pain or any of the symptoms that we're having or even that they doubted you were speaking truth when you would tell them mm -hmm. how often you work out what you do eat you know like i, and that's I felt like that too i felt like that they were looking at me like really you train with a trainer and you do all you work out five to six days a week really yep and you wouldn't necessarily know it looking at me but if you want to have a bench press competition i'll probably throw you out the door you know like well and that was you know and that was one of the things that i had brought up to dr k when i first met her before she became my surgeon and i said to her as I cried to her because she was like, I just, I'm not taking your gallbladder. Like it's not your gallbladder. And I was like, then what is causing this pain? And it's not fair. And I, I do work out and I do eat well. And you know, it, and she was just like, she didn't know, she didn't have the answer. Right. Like she was like, I'm just not going to take out this organ. That's what you're here to see me for. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain that idea. But she also had suggested low FODMAP, but she also said, it's not something that you do for the rest of your life. It's to test kind of what foods trigger you. And then you can figure out what not to eat, right? Like, and then you just don't eat those foods. And so she was using it as a tool in that moment of suggesting it as not a lifestyle of committing to that diet, but figuring out what foods caused me to have these flares. And when I explained to her that I had already done that, that baffled her. And I never went back to her. So I'm, I'm confident that if I had gone back to her, we would have had way more conversations and worked through way more diagnostic stuff. But I didn't. Remember, I didn't go back to her that first time. Um, you had mentioned um, that a doctor had flippantly said, oh, you probably have endometriosis or PCOS. And I'm going to just tell you, no, we're not going to do any testing for it. Just try these diets. And so um, tell me what you know about PCOS. Um, I know that it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, I know that one of the ways that they gauge it um, can be like with your glucose levels in your blood. 
And so oftentimes it is um, controlled by metformin, which diabetics typically or are um, prescribed to help control the sugar levels in their bloodstreams. Um, I know that it can cause infertility issues. Um, that's kind of it. I know like a lot of people say if you have heavy cramping, it could be PCOS, but mm -hmm. um, the same thing can be said about endometriosis with cramping. And it's interesting because it's, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of one of those things, it's a syndrome, right? So it, it's, it's a series of symptoms that kind of present together, but sometimes don't have a clinical medical diagnosis, which is you have, um, uh, you know, you have ovarian cancer, you have, um, you know, a, a specific diagnosis, right? You have, um, I'll use the term that I was told I probably had, which is IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. That's the perfect one. I, and you know, some people might say, no, 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 PCOS, and you can do this and you can do that. There are going to be advocates all over. There's podcasts probably all over that you can listen to it. But what I have learned is that in the medical field, when people use the term syndrome at the end of something, it's not an actual acute diagnosis of something. It's typically when, when a person, presents with multiple symptoms that that are um, similar to each other but without a pinpointed medical diagnosis for what is causing them it's considered a syndrome so it can occur there's not a there's not a clear path to treatment or to um, elimination of said syndrome and it's also something that they're learning about right like it's 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 something new and so when you and I had that discussion, it was off, off of this, um, off of our podcast, I had mentioned that to you because one of the things that had been tossed around a lot for me was IBS. Because again, like I told you guys, all of my stuff was GI related. So they're like, oh, you have irritable bowel syndrome. And that to me was just a catch all. Like it's not a real diagnosis. You have no idea what's causing me to have all these symptoms, but you're thinking it could be this and there's no treatment for it, right? Okay. So one of the treatments, and I don't think I've ever told you this, one of the treatments that they, the, the GI doctor told me was you can take this this um this pill when you're in the middle of a flare and I didn't know what the pill was and I have a friend who's an ICU nurse and I said what is this and so she ended up asking her friend that's an anesthesiologist that was on shift with her one night and comes to find out it is an antidepressant that they will sometimes that or prescribe at a very low dosage for people with IBS. And if you have IBS, what this pill does, what this antidepressant does is it raises your pain tolerance so that you can, you will still be experiencing the pain from the flare or the attack like I was, but it will be manageable. And so when I took that pill and I had zero reaction, so my pain tolerance never increased to make it be that of IBS because well, I guess you just don't have IBS and that was the only way he told me he didn't think it was IBS mm. on top of that I said and then one of my questions for him disclaimer guys because I know again that I've worked in the medical field I said is this the kind of pill that is going to be an immediate reaction sure. to why I'm taking it or is it something that I have to take for two to three weeks to get it into my body because I don't want to take an antidepressant for two to three weeks which will then take six to eight weeks to get off of right because right? we all know how those kind of medications work 
if it's not going to help me. And he said, no, it should have helped immediately. Don't take it anymore. So that, that was, that was an interesting, uh, thing for me when we, when you and I had that conversation about PCOS and IBS. And again, it, it led us to this off the wall conversation about food. And we both agree, like, you got to put good food in your body, right? We're, we're, we're having healthy bodies, but there's not a good food or a bad food, right? Food is just fuel for our body. And it was, it was so intriguing to me that as a woman in a larger body, that all of the things and all the pain that I was experiencing was going to go away if I changed my diet. I was living, remember, vegetable stock and soggy crackers. Uh, you don't get more bland. And <laughs> is that they put you on before you have a colonoscopy. You get to have some broth when, you re when you're recovering from GI surgery. You know, mm, jello, living my best seven-year-old life. Um, so yeah, it, that's, I mean, that's just, it's crazy to me that we had those rude things said to us. And, you know, we're living past diagnosis now. We're, we're, it, we're at that turning point. We're going past it, right? Like our lives are taking different paths. We're learning more about our bodies mentally, physically, and spiritually. Um, having been now on that other side of it, we're, we're coming out into these beautiful places and spaces to hold these conversations. Um, and it's interesting to me I just, I'm so hung up on the food thing. I really am. I like, oh, it's a button, man. Ooh, makes me so angry. Mm. And it's interesting that they're like, oh, just cut out dairy. Oh, just cut out this, right? Like, and you did that, right? Kelsey, it, I did. And, you know, I only have dairy in a few, in a few instances, even now, um, mm. just because I realized I don't need it, honestly. Um, and how one doctor who kindly presented me about dairy explained, and we don't have to get into the whole like rigmarole of this, but she explained, you know, a cow's milk is for a calf. So maybe some of your hormone situation is because you're ingesting hormones for a calf to grow to be a cow. And that kind of also turned me off of it. You know, I used to be a big cheese eater. I don't really eat cheese at all, but I'll admit, I love ice cream. So I will have a gelato or an ice cream treat whenever I choose to. And, you know, but it's food, it seems to be like the callous toss out of, well, you just haven't tried the one that works for you. That's the other thing, you know, like, like, what are your macros? Like, let's break down let's break it down as far as we need to break it down, you know? And like, I remember crying to my personal trainer one day and I was like, I just feel like you're looking at me and you're thinking there's no way she's doing what she's saying she's doing. Cause we would have results. Right. She's got to be going through like Burger King drive through every day, three times a day to not have this, this change. And it was that emotional breakdown that I think was probably the last time my trainer weighed me because he was like, I don't care about that number. The number I care about is your personal record on your dumbbell barbell presses and your, you know, like your deadlifts. He's like, those are the numbers I care about. But we become so hung up 
on what that scale says about your body equals who you are as a person, which yep. is so far. I mean, like we battle with that in so many ways with money, with food, and it like, it doesn't equate right. for everybody. That's why you can't just look at somebody and assume that you understand all of that, you know, and it's, it's an emotional journey. Food is emotional for me because um, I have learned in the last few years that there are times when I do emotionally eat. It's not a huge, like, constant of mine, but at my lowest of lows, I can definitely see when that had happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, but food is also a celebration in my life. Like, I love cooking for my friends and family. I hate cooking just for me. So I want to throw a dinner party where I try the new recipe that I found from some of my favorite blogs and like cook that together. And mm -hmm. I don't mind watching what I eat in the sense of like staying within calories or certain levels of carbs or protein. But I also don't want to feel bad when I don't. Yep. You know? And I think all the talk of like diet and what I ate has shamed me for what I am today, what I look like today. And the times that I didn't care that it wasn't on a program, you know, like if I chose to treat myself with some ice cream or a brownie, like, why does that feel shaming to me? Why do I not want to confess that I love a good fudgy homemade from scratch brownie? And I will eat the edge corner. Like I at least will have four from every pan because I want the four corner. Like I want the corner piece because that's the best piece in the pan, you know, like, but why is that shaming to me? I don't do that on a daily basis, you know? Right. And if I did, that's my business. That's between me and my doctor, you know, <laughs> like if and that gets you down the road. Right. It's not even between you and the doctor. There's two words that are coming to my mind right now when you say, why is that? And I'm going to tell you, it's called diet culture. Right. And you and I have been talking about this a lot. I'm finishing up a book by um, a registered dietitian called Christy Harrison called Anti-Diet. You've just um, clicked and shipped that. Thank you. I believe Amazon Prime. Thank you very much. You'll be reading that soon. And I'm learning so much from this woman and her podcast called Food Psych. So if you're listening, that's another one. Star that one. Subscribe to it. Listen to it. Um, it is changing my world um, on how I look at myself, how I look at, at my diagnoses how I looked at how I was treated by a doctor, right? Your trainer said the best words ever. I had the same experience. Both of, we were both going to have both of our trainers on the show with us um, in the future here because we both had trainers that said, stop thinking calories in, calories out. I want to know how fast you ran and what, you know, did you up the, your treadmill by 0.1 or did you up your dumbbells by five, you know, five pounds? Did you do two more reps? when you only had to do 10, like the, they were measuring our success in our body's abilities, not what we were quote unquote losing or lacking. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the thought that a doctor will just 
callously send out prescriptions for restrictive dieting um, is promoting what I now know from the, the, the reading that I'm doing and from and learning from these registered dietitians that is called restrictive eating. And our bodies are not meant to do that. And we're going to talk a lot about that um, on our next podcast and a couple ones after that as well, especially after you read that book. I'm so, I'm dying to hear your, I mean, I can't put it down. I just, I'm gobbling it. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just changing so much for me and um, realizing the trauma that our bodies have been through, through things. And then in the correlation to that with how we ate, you said something earlier about emotional eating. And that is, I'm, I'm taking that terminology out of my vocabulary as well, because our bodies only emotionally eat when we've deprived it something. So we've either deprived it of love and affection, or we've deprived it of other you know, a caloric intake throughout the week. And we look at it as something negative, but really that is our body's hunger sign saying that that's what we need, right? So these are interesting things that we'll learn um, as we start to expose diet culture and how um, the medical industry is hiding behind this cloak of it. One of the things that I've learned from this book is I do not have to step on the scale when I go to my doctor's office. My body weight that day has nothing to do with the treatment that I'm getting. If they are not giving me anesthesia or they are not prescribing me a prescription that needs the pharmacist needs to know my weight for, they don't need to have it that day. They don't need to know that I've gone up 1.5 pounds since my last visit, right? Like it's, it's obsolete. It has nothing to do with my healthcare. When I left the hospital at 229 pounds on February 13th, and I went to my next doctor's appointment two weeks later, and I had dropped 53 pounds, they didn't bat an eye at it. They didn't tell me, what are you doing? What are you not doing? They didn't tell me how to eat with my colostomy bag. I had to seek that all out myself. Don't eat skins, don't eat seeds. And you should be eating a low fiber, bland, soft food diet. That is what I was told. And I could barely stomach anything because I was on high doses of antibiotics, right? Like I had no appetite. It was crazy. And for two weeks, that is what happened to my body. This was after being starved for 11 days in the hospital because I was NPO, no food, no water for 11 days. Um, it's, it's, it's pure insanity, right? Like, and so um, the rudest things that we have both experienced had has had deep, deep, deep impacts on us, mm -hmm. um, mentally, physically, and spiritually, because we hear those things. We think it's our fault. We think what, if we could control what we put in our mouth, maybe all of our symptoms would go away. Like it is our fault that these things are happening to our body. And we both know that that's not true now. Mm -hmm. And we're both stepping into this new way of living and life after diagnosis. We're going through that turning point. And if I could help and you could help these people by sharing those experiences, even when they're not pretty and they're ugly and they make us mad and they make us sad and they make us relive these points of hard hardness that we've gone through, um, we don't have regrets in them. We're learning from them. They're life's lessons. And it's just making us an empathetic ear to our listeners, right? Because we can relate to them. Um, and I think that's important. I just, the food thing is really hard for me. And um, I know that we are excited about our next podcast that we're going to talk about. And um, what we're going we're gonna to loosely talk about it a little bit for you is about food. And I, we're going to talk to you a little bit about our relationships with it. 
um, our ups and downs with it, things that we've done, right? Lots and lots of different things. But first, what we're going to talk about is um, the conversations we had with doctors that suggested diet culture fads that would help us, right? Fads. Like, did that? Were they the expert on that? Did they go through the training? Did they conduct the the controlled experiments and all of these things to make these things possible? No, they just read an article, like most <laughs> quote unquote health gurus right now in our health and wellness industry, and are, are perpetuating a cycle of diet culture. Um, so, do you have anything else to add before we sign off? Now that we've turned. We're at past the turning point. Oh my gosh. No, just thank you so much for listening. Like, all, I feel like I'm a broken record. Um, thank you for listening. And our ears are open and ready to hear you. So beautiful. I love that. Thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in next week when our next episode titled, You Want Me to Eat What? You like how I say that? You want me? That's how I feel. It goes through my head. You want me to eat what? Um, a conversation about ways doctors have suggested diet culture fads as a way to improve or rid us of our symptoms that needed direct medical attention. We kind of touched on it a little bit at the end today. So we're going to extend this conversation into next week. Please join us if you can by, of course, reviewing, giving us five stars and sharing your comments on our content with us. Please join the conversation by emailing us at conversationswithanj at gmail.com, all one word, all lowercase. You can also find us on our social media pages, um, which is Instagram and Facebook, again, at conversationswithanj, all lowercase, all one word. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and joining us this week. Yes, thank you. We'll see ya. Bye. Bye.